Jack Spiegel here with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is Tuesday, June 25th, 2013. This is episode 1156 of the Survival Podcast. It's also episode 5. By now, you guys that have been around a while probably know what that means. It means we have a series going on. In this case, the series is Women of Prepping. The Women of Prepping series episode 5 is also 1156 of the Survival Podcast. I got a good one for you today. Lori Caraballo, founder of Prepper Chicks, preparing for survival from a girl's point of view. She's going to be on with us in just a moment. Before we do that, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you by helping to make sure the show's here for you Monday through Friday, five days a week. Sponsor of the day number one today is Backyard Food Production. That's Marjorie Wildcraft down there in the Bastrop area of Texas. That's as accurate as we give you is her location. She likes to remain a little bit covert, and she's turned her backyard into a food production machine. She has a DVD that will show you how to do the exact same thing, whether you're on a tenth of an acre in the suburbs or ten acres in the country. Either way, the systems that Marjorie will teach you in her DVD, Growing Your Groceries, will help you turn your backyard into a food production machine because they can be skilled up or down as you need and see fit. I mean everything from water harvesting to growing carbohydrate crops to protein sources to preparing and butchering your uh, livestock. Anything you can think of, you'll find it on Growing Your Groceries, the DVD series at BackyardFoodProduction.com. Next up today, survival gear bags. Hey, if you're going to be prepared... Sometimes you're going to need to go somewhere, and when you do, you're going to need to take gear with you, and you're going to need a bag to put it in, hence you need a survival gear bag. Seriously, though, survivalgearbags.com actually grew right out of the survival podcast community. Kelly John Doe, very early listener, has been with us for probably since episode 50 or earlier, uh, was in the retail uh, merchandise delivery industry, and uh, set up a few group buys on the forum for people. And then realized, hey, maybe I can turn this into a business. He approached a partner, and they founded Survival Gear Bags. Today, Kelly is the sole proprietor of Survival Gear Bags, runs it himself. He does a great job, and you'll find great bags and great gear to go in those bags at survivalgearbags.com. And you're not just buying from a supporter of the show. You're buying from an actual member of the audience that built their business right alongside the Survival Podcast. So it's a great guy to support with great gear, great pricing, and great service. SurvivalGearBags.com. Uh, next up, I want to remind you guys about the Walking to Freedom Forum. Get on over there. Start making connections. Things have really taken off since I've added the boards for every state. I've had one person whine about the entire concept since I started on the blog about it. We shouldn't have a naughty list. It should be making all the stick. That's not the point. The point is, there are places where people are freaking tired of being stepped on by government. I talked a little bit about that yesterday, didn't I? And in some places, it's not just the federal government stepping. The state is like climbing over top of the feds to step on the throat of their state residents. States like California, states like New York, states like Illinois, they made the naughty list. If you live there and you're freaking tired of it, leave. It's not the Berlin, the state wall is not the Berlin wall. The state line is not the Berlin wall, folks. It's easier to rent a truck and make some new friends than it is to uh, live in tyranny. 
And the great thing about walking to freedom is you can help out. If you have no desire to leave, help people decide if your state is right for them. Make introductions. Uh, give people ideas of where to apply for a job. Walkingtofreedom.com is the Republican action. It's the Sentinels rising. It's saying, you know what, we don't have to take this crap. And we can take the best and the brightest from the states that are the least responsible and the most oppressive and move them to the states that, that further value their liberty and their freedom. And liberty here is not just about freedom to own a firearm. It's all about freedom to run a business, freedom to not be sued, freedom to not be put out of business by your own state because they, they just cripple you with regulation. Freedom to not have the, the, your pension squandered if you work for the state itself. Check it out today, walkingtofreedom.com. I'd love to have you down here in Texas, but there's a lot of other great opportunities for you out there. And what I want people to do is find the place that's the best home for them. And I think you'll find if you make some friends first, moving's a bit easier to do. Walkingtofreedom.com. Last but not least, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade. If you do that, you'll get exclusive content available only to members. You'll help support the show at a whopping 18.3 cents per episode. Military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, active due to your prior service, and this includes things, first responders like paramedics, EMTs, firefighters, any of those uh, professions. If you either do it now or you've done it in the past, you qualify for a service discount. Just email me, jack at survivalpodcast.com with service discount in the subject line. And if you do that before, not after you join the Member Support Brigade, I'll send you a discount code that will save you even more money for everybody else. It is 50 bucks a year, five bucks a month, uh, $30 per six-month term. There's a lot of options there. Uh, the membership will pay for itself. There's several uh, benefits of the membership alone that are you know, the entire cost of membership. If you haven't joined the Membership Brigade yet and you're interested in learning more about it and how you can do things like get every single episode of Survival Podcast ever produced, all the way back to episode number one in convenient zip files, just go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on Members and you can read all about it. With that, I do have the uh, housekeeping wrapped up. Before I bring Lori on, though, I do have one more thing to let you guys know about. So yesterday, I kind of got fired up at the end of the show. And I have to tell you, like a lot of times when that happens, it wasn't planned. It wasn't like today at the end of the show, I'm going to kind of blow up on all this crap. It was just I covered the material, it built up, and boom, it came out. And fortunately, it came out in one of the ways where it's generally pretty good uh, instead of pretty bad. Uh, when I get really angry and I just get undirected anger. Yesterday was some very well-channeled anger. Uh, anger at our, our politicians, but anger at many of our citizens that are asleep at the switch. And understand that we've allowed these people to do this crap to us. And uh, when I got done with it, I mean, the show wasn't up. I, some people, I guess, must have read the thing and went it to the end, because I don't think the show was up long enough for people to have heard the whole episode. I started getting emails. Jack, this is one of the best things you've ever done. You should make this segment available. Um, so I thought about it. What I did is I slapped together real quick, uh, about a 17 or 20 minutes, somewhere in there, whatever that last segment was. Uh, right after I finished with Dr. Paul's um, statements, I put in a uh, cut, cut the uh, audio right there, and I put together a picture slideshow on YouTube of the closing of yesterday's show. And uh, it's getting a lot of great responses. Uh, three people gave it a thumbs down. I don't know. Maybe I hacked them off in some way or another. Maybe one of them's the coward stalker that listens every day and hates me and thumbs down everything I do. And if you're out there, coward, quit being a coward and tell people who you are. Anyway, other than that, you know, I think that it's been very, very well received. And uh, I think that it's a good one to share with people. Uh, I did get one email from somebody who goes, 
you cussed in it. How can I share this? Well, then don't share it with people that can't handle a little bit of cussing. You know, cussing has a purpose. Um, when you cuss every other word just to cuss, it loses its meaning and significance. But when it's done for the right reason with the right inflection, it has power. And I also am one of the people that believe that you don't tell me what a cuss word is. I'll decide for myself what I consider profane. And frankly, I don't consider shit profane. Uh, I do consider the F word profane, and it's why I tend not to use it on the air almost ever. I don't think there's actually been a time ever when I have. But certain other words I'll use for emphasis. Somebody recently wrote me a letter with four reasons I shouldn't cuss. Your letter went in the shredder. Your letter went in the shredder. It went into the shredder. If you have a problem with this, I really suggest highly that you go to the survivalpodcast.com. That you go to the About tab. Um, and you click on Disclaimers and Policies. And then I really suggest that you read Section 3, Adult Language and Content Warnings, before you waste your energy, your time, and a tree's pulp would to write me a letter that I will not really care about. That said, this video, I think, is very well received, and I think you should uh, consider sharing it with people that can hear the truth without crying, that can hear that we are as responsible as those that are in power because we've let it happen, and maybe get motivated to take some act of rebellion and, and start an act of rebellion, whether it's through apathy or whether it's through action. There are many ways that we can rebel, but what we cannot do is continue to be willing, blindless cogs in the system. So yeah, when I talk about stuff like that, I think about the greatness of this nation and how we have fallen so far, so fast, and we've let these pricks take so much of our liberty in the last 20 years, whether it was a Republican or a Democrat, yeah, I might use a cuss word or two. But you know what? At times like this, it's time for men to speak their mind, not what society says they're supposed to say. We've gotten here by saying and speaking the way we were told to, by conforming to what they want us to conform to, and I, for one, have had enough. That's why I started this show over five years ago now. Those of you that don't like the occasional four-letter or adult word or whatever you want to call it, it ain't going to change for you. After five years of a commitment to remain true to my roots... I'm not going to change because somebody doesn't like it. If I didn't do things that nobody, that somebody didn't like, there would be no survival podcast. Because I promise you, there's people that don't like anything that we're doing here. And those are the very people that are the reason that it needs to be done. We don't have to agree all the time. But if you want to support liberty, you need to support the liberty of all, not just the liberty of those that you agree with. With that, I'm ready to bring on Lori Caraballo. Founder of Prepper Chicks, prepping for, prepping for survival from a girl's point of view. They have a cool podcast. There'll be a link in today's show notes uh, where you can listen to uh, Lori and I think there's other folks that are involved with that podcast. Uh, but with that, I want to say, hey, Lori, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me here. 
Hey, I'm glad you're here. You're episode five of the Women in Prepping series, and uh, glad to have you on. I was actually, I know your site, and I was really excited when I saw your name come across and your, your site come across in the uh, in the queue, so uh, I appreciate you being with us today. My pleasure. And before we get started, can I just say one thing? You have got to have the coolest name out there. I mean, it's, and for those of us that love pirates and drinking rum and all that stuff, I mean, it just sounds like the perfect name, so... <laughs> It's awesome. You know, we go around with Jack Spurko. Jack <laughs> like, yeah. Sparrow, of course. There's, there was a kid that, that uh, their parents shared it with me. Uh, I think the kid was like six or seven years old, and they were playing Pirates of the Caribbean on Nintendo or Xbox, or I don't do games, so I don't know what, what it was. But uh, they were having trouble, and I guess you get different characters as you advance. And she goes, if I could get Captain Jack Spirico, I could complete <laughs> this level. And I was like, that awesome. made my day, you know. Yeah, if I was a guy, I'd be really jealous of your name, but <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard that quite well, that from anybody ever before. I just, I, you know, it's just a cool name. We, we, you know, people on my Facebook site and stuff, we share some of your stuff um, yeah. from your from your site over to ours. And it's you know the first time I heard I saw your name it's like oh that is really cool because we go around and we talk like pirates all the time and you know act stupid and all of that. Well, it's better than my legal name. My legal name's actually John, and people want to know well why do you go by Jack? And it's because like John Spirico's a boring name, but Jack Spirico sounds cool. Very, yes, it does. It's excellent. <laughs> yeah. Uh, back on point though. Um, you know, I have this woman of prepping series going on because basically my audience jumped my crap one day and said, hey, why don't you have more women on the show? And I'm like, I, I don't know. I just I take whoever asks to be on the show that doesn't suck. You know, that's basically what I do. If you come in and you look like you're going to be an interesting show, we get in touch with you and we schedule you. Um, but, hey, ladies, come on. Let's let's bring it on because I do want your, your view. Uh, and my, my leadoff question to everybody is always, well, what got you into prepping, specifically at a level for you where you're doing your own blog, you're pretty hardcore with it, you know, were you, were you, did you grow up this way, or is it something, did something jostle you in life? What, what got you on the path? Well, I grew up on a farm. I grew up on a 300-acre farm in Ohio, so I can artificially inseminate a cow if I need to. <laughs> um, so this was just the way of life for me. You know, my my grandparents, you look at pictures of my, my specifically on my dad's side, um, you know, he grew up with an outhouse. My grandparents had an outhouse till probably 10 years ago. And, you know, no shoes, the, the, the typical, the pictures that you see that people are like, oh, my goodness, you know. But that was a way of life for us. So I learned how to can and, and have a garden. And, you know, I was, you know, pitching hay bales when I was, you know, 10, 9. I learned how to drive before I actually took driver's ed class. So uh, it's always been a way of life. And then, you know, I met my my husband, who's from Brooklyn, New York, so completely opposite end of the spectrum here. And uh, so then, you know, I work in the city now. I've recently, well, about five years ago, moved to Indianapolis. And it's just become a natural progression. And then the concern sets in with what we see in the news out there. So I'm I'm not a docile person, so you know I start talking and then it rolled into this whole prepper chicks thing, and before you know it, it has snowballed into what it's become today. So you know you 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 sound a lot like me. You grew up with this as a way of life. When I was a kid, no one first thing what we were poor and we didn't know it. Yeah. Right? So exactly. we thought we had everything, but we we, we you look back and you go, oh gee, I was poor. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the things that we had, like a generator, was because, well, if the power goes off in, in, in the winter, even though there's a furnace running coal, you got to 
you know, it, it gets, it, it, it still gets cold and your know, lights are out. And so you have things like that. We can't food because gee, nothing grows in November in, in Pennsylvania and you're going to be hungry. Um, we just did it. But then along my way, I kind of did what you did, move to the city and I kind of drifted away from it. Did you ever drift away from kind of your roots and come back to it? Or did you stay the course all the way through? Mike, I think during the period that my children were younger, um, you know, you get caught up in that. You know, we have five kids. Our youngest is now, he'll be 13 this year, so it's it's coming back full circle. But it's funny you mention that because, you know, we grew up, our driveway was probably darn near a mile long. It went over a creek, over some railroad tracks before you even got to our house. And uh, my husband grew up in the big city. And to this day, if we have a snowstorm coming, I'm like, okay, well, I think I need to go get some extra stuff over at the store. And he's laughing at me. And he's like, Lori, he's like, there's a store three blocks from our house. Relax. And it's like, no, it it doesn't work like that. So when we got stranded, we got stranded. And you prepared for it. Unfortunately, nowadays, people get so used to the fact that, geez, there's a McDonald's down the road. You know, the grocery stores are open now 24 hours a day. Which is a bit alarming because I, I posted um, yesterday uh, about a uh, the government is trying to extend more laws over our truckers and restrict the hours that they're on the road. And, you know, uh, getting feedback from a lot of the truckers out there, they're just beside themselves on what's coming and what's going to be hitting. And uh, if you're not ready for this, uh, you're going to be hungry for a while. That's kind of ridiculous because they're already the OTR guys are already limited to like 500 miles a day, and you know back in my traveling days, knocking out a 500 mile day was not really a big deal. Now I wasn't dragging you know an 18 wheeler, but I mean driving's driving, and I understand saying you know like these guys can't be on the road pushing 1,200 miles a day because they're going to fall asleep and kill somebody. Right. Uh, but the limitation they have now seems pretty freaking reasonable to me. Well, yeah, but it's only going to get worse. And, you know, their biggest concern talking to a lot of them is the fact that you know, they're going to pick up those, mass, those last minute loads that they normally would, which means that we're not going to have the merchandise in the stores that you, that you see now, which is already, if you pay attention out there, is very restricted. They well, like see, to- but don't you get it? See, this is a brilliant way to lower unemployment. You hire more truckers and pay them less. Yeah, but so nobody wants to do the job that they're already not wanting to do. Isn't that a great idea? Yeah. Well, (laughs) moving along (laughs) before I get myself into trouble. Um, So yeah, so it's always been a way of life for me. Um, But a huge clash between my husband and myself, which has been um, a quite an amusing ride along the way. So it's been pleasant uh, for the most part, but. You know, it's it's fun to talk to other couples that are trying to get the other spouse into preparedness and how they they get that going. And it's like, yeah, it's a little tough sometimes, but it can be done. Yeah. Um, the big difference that I've noticed with the reluctant spouse syndrome is the guy is usually kind of like the humor. Yeah. And they just don't get it, but they don't get really heavily opposed to it. Well, when I've seen it the other way, where the guy's on board and, and the gal's not, generally they get really upset. They, they get do. really angry. They don't want to hear it. They cover their ears. They close their eyes. They do the three monkey thing. They, it's, it seems like they have a much more emotional resistance where the guy just has, eh, what could go wrong? Well, wouldn't that be, that would make sense, though. I mean, women are 
typically a lot more emotional than men and it hits us, you know, right in the heart. But they have to understand the stuff that goes on out there. And that's one of the things that I've been yelling the most about recently and will continue to is if you study human history and you study what happens after a natural disaster, um, take Katrina, for instance. I mean, if you look at the numbers for sexual assaults um, after a natural disaster, and you can dig this up anywhere on Google or any other means of, uh, of a search engine that you're, you're using so the NSA doesn't track you down. But anyways, <laughs> so, so pre-Katrina, on average, um, there were 4.6 uh, sexual assaults per 100,000 people per day. After Katrina, that jumped to 16.3%. Um, you see families of, I was following Fukushima when it happened, and the women, you lose every male aspect in your family. You lose your husband, you lose your brothers, you use, lose your sons, um, your fathers, everyone's gone and now you're by yourself. And how do you protect yourself? And the amount of rape that goes on in these um, uh, camps that they set up after uh, a natural disaster is just outrageous. So screaming loud and screaming long about, you know, women need to wake up to this stuff because it's going to get ugly and it's going to get ugly fast. And this is why I've always been fascinated with the fact that women tend to be so reluctant to this because they tend to be the, the, the one that does more of the caregiving to the family, that worries more about, you know, did Johnny get his braces on right? Did, the, did Susie get up for school? And all the things that go with child rearing. Not that there's not a role for men in that, but women just naturally tend to do that. They tend to worry about all the things that go with keeping a house in order and the first steps of prepping are, well, gee, let's see if a few things go wrong. Let's not have the whole place fall apart. Well, they, we are stuck in a society, though, where everything is always okay, and the government or FEMA will come in and protect us. And I'm not dishing FEMA. Don't get me wrong. They've been around to help people to a certain degree. But please don't rely on them 100%. They've just denied um, services um, to the folks in Texas. I was going to bring that up. Yeah, Obama goes in, promises we're going to fix this. FEMA shows up, says yeah, and then they turn around and go, yeah, it's not really a disaster at our level. You're on your own. Bye. Yeah. Well, you know, I talked about this on my radio show um, the other uh, Tuesday. You know, and we see it in smaller extents here in Indianapolis. We had the Super Bowl here a couple years ago. It was a grand parade with the government coming in and or the city itself coming in, spending millions of dollars to fix up the neighborhoods, bring in extra police force, and people settle into this sense of unreality where they feel they're safe now because we're doing a Super Bowl is over with me and that stuff is gone. And I had knee surgery right after the Super Bowl happened and was gone out of work for six months. And I drive through downtown Indianapolis all the time and was just startled by uh just the the transformation or the degrade from when Super Bowl was here to six months afterwards. It was just astonishing. I'll tell you something that I saw that you you know traveling around you may have seen too, especially back you know back and forth between rural and, and urban areas. Uh, the last year, Dorothy and I decided to drive instead of fly to Florida for our vacation, and we went to Sanibel Island, which is a place that we just love. When we came home, we were still we had our homestead up in Arkansas, and we decided to take kind of the back roads route through Louisiana and and Arkansas. And we went through some areas where you could tell that there were thriving tourist communities ten years ago, if that before this economic recession hit. Big beautiful lakes, little towns that you could tell used to be quaint. 
windows boarded up, people hanging out on street corners that you drove past really, really quick and didn't make eye contact with. Um, complete, total shambles. Now, all that is is a run-of-the-mill garden-variety recession that's almost sort of kind of at least falsely recovered from. Those towns are dead forever. Yeah. And you have to look at that society and go, what happens when that is much more widespread? And my un- I haven't seen it myself. My understanding is this same phenomenon has played out all through the Midwestern United States and all over the country, but specifically the Midwest and the Southeast have really had these some of these towns just almost dry up and blow away. And I don't mean to be harsh to the people left behind, but a lot of the people that are left behind, just from my observations, you can tell they're not people you'd be safe around. Oh, more than likely not. And usually in a, in a downgrade situation, um, like a natural disaster, it's the lower income people um, that get hit the worst because they can't rebuild afterwards. And especially women who are single moms or whatnot, they don't have the resources to pull from that anyone else typically would. So, um, like I said, these people, women specifically need to wake up to the realities of this and stop sticking their heads in the sand and start learning preparedness. And I'm not talking about, you know, the first thing that we all, people seem to migrate to when we talk about, you need to, you know, protect yourself is, you know, they think about getting a firearm. Now, that being said, I'm an NRA pistol instructor. I understand, you know, having a firearm and what it entails, but it's not just about that. What happens if, you know, that's taken away from me? I need to learn um, other avenues, combative avenues of uh, self-defense. Along with avoidance and understanding, okay, this is a risky situation. I need to take this shit seriously right now and not go on with life like it's the normal everyday thing because that's how a lot of these things happen, this whole attitude of, well, no one's going to do anything to me. Yeah. Well, there was a case in point on the TV um, of of a woman in Colorado that lived by the wildfires. I mean, hello, it's been all over the news that these fires have been going on in Colorado uh, for the last, what, month, month and a half now? And and this woman's like, well, you know, I had to leave really fast, so I threw everything in a clothes basket, and I threw in some clothes, but I don't even know if they're the right clothes, and I just grabbed a couple things, and I left. And it's like, oh, my goodness, you want to just shake these people and say, just wake up and get prepared. Have a bug-out bag ready to go in case with all your important stuff in there. So that way you don't have this major freak-out. When you become prepared and gain the knowledge behind preparedness, you lose that, that freak out, that, that sense of uh, uh, fright and all of that. I mean, it's still there to a degree, but not to the point that you can't function and you can't think. So, yeah, I mean, it's just pull your heads out of your uh, the sand. I'll, I'll be politically <laughs> correct there. And Fourth point of contact, as we used to say in the military. <laughs> <laughs> Those that are airborne will know the the significance of that. Anyway, I mean, and I think one of the bigger lessons that people still have yet to learn in this country, we look at a Sandy, we look at a Katrina, we look at some of the wildfires, the mudslides, all of these events that are catastrophic and, you know, far bigger, we mentioned West, but far bigger than West, uh, regional disasters. And while I always teach people to start preparing for disasters based on order of probability and start preparing for the things that would affect you as an individual first, like a job loss, like a storm damage to your home, like a, a fire in your home, because that's what you're most likely to deal with. We do have to be realistic about the fact that we could have a major national level 
uh, grid down scenario or national level emergency like a pandemic or an economic collapse more than just a recession. And what I don't think people have taken away and learned from these events yet, like Katrina, is yes, it sucked. Yes, it was bad. But within about three weeks, they pulled their heads out of their fourth point of contact. They sent General Honoré in. They restored order, and help was coming. If you have a disaster that's half the country or more, there's no safe place to set up and send support. You're literally on your own, and not for three weeks, maybe for three months or longer. And I just don't think people have gotten that through their head yet. Well, we were screaming um, about a year ago. We had multiple um, points of, of downgrade situations that were going on. Colorado was having the wildfires at the time. We had wildfires wildfire, and flooding up in the Pacific North, Northwest. Something was going on in Texas. Something was going on someplace else. And FEMA just could not keep up. They, they just don't have the ability. And we saw when Sandy, when the storm came through New York, my mother-in-law lives in New York in Brooklyn. And uh, so we were yelling at her for, I don't know, a week and a half. As soon as we got heads up, you need to get ready. So she goes, bless her heart, but she goes and she gets a case of water. And it's like, oh, my goodness, no, it's not going to work. But (laughs) what she's coming, she'll be here um, the end of July. So I have a ton of stuff um, that she's going to be taking home with her and a lot of learning that she's going to be what's one of the reasons she's coming over is she's going to be learning a lot of stuff because she, you know, living on in Brooklyn and I was talking to someone from New Zealand who's going through, they're going through a pretty good storm down there right now. They only have limited resources to pull from. And so they need to have that knowledge, which is probably the most important prep that you can have is building knowledge because you can't lose it. And uh, so she's coming over the end of July and we're going to run her through. I've got her like a, a, bathtub bob and you know a few other things that she can have at least to give her a fighting chance but it's funny because we were yelling at her a week and a half before sandy was coming up it was coming right up the east river right at her she's on the 13th floor facing the river and oh no i'll be fine i'll be fine i'll be fine midnight that night she calls i i want to leave and i'm like i'm sorry now we can't come and get you yeah you know we can't get over the bridges, under the bridges, any bridge, uh, boat, nothing. You're on your own. And, and I, I'm just hoping that as there is more awareness about the failures of responders, and again, not putting them down, that there's a limit to what responders can do. And I don't think people get this either. If I'm an incident commander on the ground at something the size of a Hurricane Sandy, my first two days of rescue are very minimal rescue. It's planning rescue. And I'm going to operate under a credo of dead rescuers save no lives. And my first duty is to pre- preserve and protect the lives and safety of my, of the teams I'm on, over in command over. And that means that for 48 hours minimum, minimum, under the best case scenario, you are literally in a disaster that size, absolutely going to be on your own. That's the plan, right? The people that are coming to help you, that's their plan. Yeah. And I, I don't understand what makes that so difficult to understand, but most people, when you, and I think this is, because what I want to move on to is kind of breaking the cocoon of people here, because you've got some great women-specific questions that might break female cocoons, but one of the break in, of cocoons that I've had is, what would you do if you had no power, no security, no nothing for 48 hours, and not no one can get you, no one even want, no one's even planning to come. 
No. Well, you got to think about it. The people that are there to rescue you live in the same town that you live in. So they're they have going the same problems. Yeah, they're going through the same thing. That's not to say that they're not going to come eventually, but you have to think about the fact that are they going to make sure a that their family is okay first before they leave or they're dead, you know? So, yeah, I mean, quite honestly. Or you don't drive an ambulance down a street when there's 72 giant oak trees laying across it. You know, we had trees that came down during Sandy you looked at that they didn't even break. You saw root masses just, the the, the trees just crumbled and fell. And you're talking, you know, 100-year-old oaks and and elms and stuff like that. You're not just going to push that out of the way. There's a simple matter of opening up the avenue of access before the help can even get there if it's ready and wants to. Right. Exactly. And people need to wake up to that fact. And they need, quite honestly, to wake up to that fact and fast. Um, we're seeing more and more natural disasters out there. And, you know, you brought up a point uh, a minute ago about uh, if you lose your job or something. I was off work for six months. I had no issues. How many people can be off work for six months and not worry about it? Not many. Not many. Especially in our country today. I mean, I think if you asked that question in 1950, the answer was the majority of people could do it. I think today, it, it's yeah, it's a very, very small number. Well, in 1950, though, most of the families out there were only one income. Yep. Now you have double-income families, you know. So, you know, we're comparing to, I, I was sitting there thinking about the other day about, you know, just the change in the last 100 years, we've gone from pretty much independence to total, um, uh, I'm, I've lost the word, dependency on if you even just look at two things look at electricity and how dependent we've become in the last hundred years we didn't have it you know and now how many people would die because they didn't have it correct and and look at grocery stores a hundred years ago we didn't have these mega grocery stores nor half the crap that's in them no so i mean you had little general stores and stuff like that and you you went to town for provisions for for staples sugar flour yeah you know that's it People grew their own gardens. Now it's, it's. I'm not going to cuss. It's illegal. You are allowed to here, by the way. This is non-censored. <laughs> invi- we we don't use the f word here, and that's about it. And occasionally one sneaks in, but, gotcha. but otherwise this is a non-censored, adult-orientated environment. Gotcha. Well, now <laughs> it's 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 you know illegal in a lot of places to even grow a garden. Yeah, at least in the front yard, man. That's that's something they've actually threatened a couple people with jail time over. It doesn't oh, yeah. make any sense. We've seen government officials coming in and ripping out people's gardens. Yeah, that's happened. Oklahoma had happened. There was a lady that had this, and it was a beautiful thing that yeah. she had built. And she had a court order for a hearing, and they just came in and did it anyway. They just did it before the hearing. I mean, everybody that touched that, that judge should have held in contempt of court. Of course, he didn't. No, and they've it's kind getting... of ironic to me because most judges they don't really care about even taking you know if you disobey their 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 court order they usually just get an ego trip. I guess somebody probably got to the guy or something. Oh, you know they got friends. You yeah. know, well, like the Monsanto judge, the, the 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 guy that was a judge ruled in favor of Monsanto, and sixty days later was working as a lobbyist for Monsanto. What that I... was just. Ugh. I mean, we've all read the news about about Monsanto, but. I thought I just read this morning where they they won a Nobel Peace Prize. I don't know if it's a Nobel Prize. They won some <laughs> major global prize for food, and because they've been they made kicked it for, out of every country out there except the, brand, for the United States. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. So they, how do you win a no? Well, I'm not going to say. Well, they, they made food more available. That's that was the reasoning behind it. There's more food available because of that. If you classify that as food, exactly. There was no in the. I, I read the thing that came in this morning. There was no mention of quality. The word quality was not included in the uh, in in the uh, the uh, the accolade at all. It was just available and distributed or something like that. Well, then uh, I'm going to go buy the old Ho-Ho's and Twinkie plant, and I'm going to send, you know, all these this food stuff over to some country, and I'm going to win myself a Nobel Prize. Nobel Prize for, for, for picking up the last remaining Twinkies and exporting them to, there to we Nigeria go. or something like that. Or you could win a, you know, a Nobel Peace Prize for, for not doing anything like the president did, or, you know... <laughs> But anyway, let's let's move into some female topics because you've got some stuff here in your notes that I think might actually be, especially from one woman to another, some good cocoon breakers. So one you have is alternatives to female hygiene. Now, there's probably not a man on planet Earth that really wants to have a conversation about tampons. Oh, there's not. And I posted. We just don't. It's not that we really it bothers. We just don't really care. It's not our problem. But for women, right? This is something that you know. What if you couldn't just go down and pick up that box? I think that's maybe something that, you know, makes a woman think, hey, wait a minute, that's that's pretty deeply personal and something pretty much just thought of as a given. That'll be there. Yeah, and they, and they do. And I posted two stories about alternative means of, you know, making sure that your menses is taken care of properly. And guys just freak out. I mean, just totally just, <laughs> oh, my goodness. They didn't leave the page, but, I mean, there was they were, like, backing up like there's no tomorrow. Um, but yeah, I mean, it needs talked about. It doesn't embarrass me. It's a fact of life. And I'll talk about anything. We'll talk about sex in a downgrade situation because people need the information. What happens if you can't get to the store and you can't get a box of tampons? If you study way back then, a lot of them went out and they got moss off of a rock out in the middle of the woods to use. But um, there are products out there that people need to be made aware of. They also need to know how to make their own um, pads if they need them. Um, I have a, a Diva Cup that um, uh, I have, and it's, you know, reusable the whole nine yards. And it's just sad that we don't talk about that kind of stuff, just like birth control. In a downgrade situation, you're not going to get to the pharmacy to get birth control pills to make sure that you don't become pregnant um, in a in a bad time. So, and if you think about it, too, one of the uh, big issue. Uh, with, uh, say, with FEMA coming in to help out, is they do not bring those products with them. It's, mm. it's totally not something that they think about. And any kind and of. And you're not going to die. With, it's not going to kill you. So, therefore, it's not on their list of, of high priority. They're no, most concerned with not. keeping you alive. Right. But, I mean, short of, you know, letting it run down your leg, what are you going to do? Well, and it seems like an easy, soft entry to maybe you should store some of this because it's pretty much an infinite storage life. And it can can be multi-purposed. I mean, um, I took first aid applications definitely. I took Patriot Nurses Medical 101 class here um, a couple weeks ago, and one of my things I'm working on this year is medical preparedness. So I took a class. I'm uh, gone back to school to be a doctor of naturopathy to learn. You know, the non, it's kind of like your backups to your backups to your backups. If you don't have a hospital, um, I, one point she brought up is, you know, in Oklahoma, we saw a hospital get blown away. And a lot of the doctors and nurses nowadays are only trained to perform within their four walls with all their nice sterile equipment. So what if your doctor 
isn't trained in a downgrade situation. They can't function a lot of the times. They can't think outside of the box. They can't pull resources that they normally wouldn't because they're not trained to do that. So um, if I were most people out there, I would start questioning your doctor. And, you know, I look for physicians that have some kind of um, missionary experiences is awesome. Because they don't function within four walls, and they do have to pull stuff um, where they don't normally get it. So, yeah, I, I would completely. I'd actually never thought of it that way, but that is a great reason to pick a physician who has been uh, through some level of missionary or Peace Corps experience because they've already had to do it. Yeah. And this is why we teach people to train with their skills, right? Because the day to figure out how to deal with a certain type of injury without all your equipment is not the day that you see it for the first time. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's to have thought about and had experience with training for it prior to it occurring. But sadly enough, how many, how many, you know, couch preppers are out there that are just collecting things and aren't putting the stuff to use beforehand and gaining knowledge? There's a saying out there, a quote, I don't remember exactly how it goes. Um, something about when you're in a, in a situation, you digress to the amount of training, not to the amount of knowledge that you have. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I, I would actually say that you you really regress to your almost your lowest level of training. Right. So it's not if, if you've trained to do something at a very high level, but you've only trained there to that level a few times, and you've trained consecutive consistently to a lower level of performance. It's not that you'll never be able to, to come up to that level, but in your initial response, especially with things like firearms, that initial response is going to revert to whatever you've developed the most physical m muscle memory of, the right. most mental conditioning for. That's what you're going to do. And it, it is interesting how it does become almost automatic. I've been in situations where I'm observing the situation. I think something's going wrong tactically. It doesn't. But I find I'm already four steps into being prepared for it and mentally three to four steps into what I'm going to do next. Well, we do. But it's only the conditioning that gets you there. Yeah. And, and we do a lot of um, situational awareness drills on our Facebook page. Every once in a while, I'll throw a scenario out there. Okay, this is what's going on. What are you going to do? Because you have to get people to think about it. You know, we have to get people to think about those ugly areas of life that could possibly happen, such as we've seen an uptick in people um, breaking into people's homes when they're, when they're there watching TV. So what would you do if you're sitting around with your family, you're watching TV, and all of a sudden somebody breaks through your front door? Well, I'm going to go run to my gun safe and I'm going to get my gun. Sorry, you're too late. You know, so, you know, we need to My answer people. is bang. Well, yeah, but you have your firearm on you. You don't have it locked away. You know, and we need to get people thinking about situations. My husband and I do this all the time. We'll get to the grocery store. We'll be sitting in the doctor's office. And we'll, you know, you're kind of bored in the doctor's office unless you're snooping through their drawers. But um, we're sitting there. Okay, if somebody comes shooting in the front door, what are you going to do? What are we going to do? What kind of tools do we have in here that we can utilize to protect ourselves with? Absolutely. A lot of, Absolutely. A lot of people don't understand that the walls in a doctor's office are not all the way to the ceiling. There's a drop ceiling up there you can easily get over and out of. If and that's most commercial space, yeah. by the way. That's yeah. most commercial space. So, you know, situational awareness training is very important. We went to see Superman over the weekend with the kids, and we're sitting there. It's like, okay, tell me where the exits are at. You know? Yeah. So yeah. a lot of people don't do that kind of stuff. But now, guess what? We're a step ahead. 
And I mean, when I'm seated in a restaurant, if, if I'm put into a position where sitting at that table, I can't see what's going on, I'll request a new table. Mm-hmm. If I have to wait, I will. I will not have my back to the door, my back to everybody. I won't do it. Um, if it's a, an avenue where there's no avenues of egress, I won't, I will not take the table. And people think, well, that's paranoid. Well, that's not paranoid. That's forethought. Yeah, it's smart thinking. I mean, yeah. it, it, and it will save your life someday. On the tactical stuff, and I'm going to tell you folks, this is her question. She's asked me to ask her, not my question that I pulled out of my butt. So for women out there, how do you draw a gun with your boobs in the way? Well, okay, so let's talk about this for a minute here. And I'm going to um, – I'm an NRA pistol instructor. And unfortunately out there, there are not a lot of women – way back when I got my training anyways. We're seeing an uptick in that. We're getting more women involved in it. But back then, your training primarily came from the male sector. And I'm in training class, and, you know, I'm asking – I'm lucky I didn't get kicked out of class. My husband's over here, and he's giggling. Because I'm asking all these questions about, okay, so how do you teach a female to shoot when she has false nails that are, you know, an inch long? Or, you know, what happens if she's got, is she's well endowed? You know, and how, because they teach you, and I thought at least, I'm fairly, you know, well endowed. Sometimes to get an isosceles uh, stance isn't the most comfortable thing. So now I've got an ex- I've got something in the way there that I have to work around in order to do what they typically want you to. So that being said, um, for those of you out there that are listening, combative training. If you can get your hands or get into a class, into a combative training um, class, I know we have one here in Indy through Mindset Labs. They actually take you in instead of teaching you just how to shoot downrange in a gun in a gun range, um, which is typically what a basic pistol class teaches you, they actually put you into different scenarios and you learn how you react. You learn how your body gets in your way, pretty much, um, in in certain situations. I know um, Shay here in Indy has a small town built into this warehouse that you can go into. There's a little Starbucks in there. There's a bookstore and there's a little grocery store in there. And there's cars in there. So you actually get training on how you respond in different situations. So can't push that enough. Um, it, you know, introductories, basic pistols, great and all that. But if, if you're, um, if you really want to get the training to survive, um, any kind of combative class is needed in my opinion. Yeah. And I mean, I would highly recommend one of our sponsors for that type of training, Frank Sharp with Fortress Defense. They do scenarios with active shooter response with airsoft guns, for instance, where people are actually shooting at you. Um, they also have courses specifically geared for females. That's awesome. Uh, taught with female instructors, not, not solely female instructors, but with female instructors. I would also advise all women of this. If you decide to go take gun training with your husband, that is wonderful. If he is a gun guy and they don't do this for you, do what Frank Sharp does, which is immediately takes the husband and puts him on the far left and the wife and puts her on the far right and separates them so, because he's there to learn, not coach you. And, yeah. and and we just do that. It's just like, oh, you're not. Don't you worry about it. You're here. So what Frank does, he just immediately goes, you guys are together. Oh, that's great. You're going over there. You're going over there. Um, and, you and then bringing real adrenaline addition things to training with firearms for instance, when I trained with the guys from uh, the Russian guys, the, these guys are all like ex-KGB and stuff like that, and they do training in the U.S. now. We're doing these active shooter response drills with airsoft weapons shooting at each other, 
But while you're shooting at the guy that's the active shooter, there's a Russian dude that's about 6'6 with a bunch of tennis balls pitching them at your head. Right? And it makes you think. It makes you yeah. move. And I think that's the kind of training we need more of. Not necessarily Navy SEAL training, but... But you get tunnel vision if you don't. I mean, Correct. We, we teach basic pistol, which is just down the shooting range. You're not thinking about anybody that's coming after you if you're, or if the guy that's shooting at you has a partner. So you get tunnel vision and you forget that. You have to get that kind of training. And it's funny you brought up um, my husband and I taught a private class um, here in Indy. And it, it was a guy who wanted the women to get involved. So he got 10 uh, couples, family members, they're all family, together. And we taught in his little heated garage. And they're sitting there, and they're all sitting in a nice little couple, you know, side by side and stuff. And one of the first things I asked them, I said, so how many of you women are here because your husband dragged you here? And every single one of them raised their hand. So I asked them, and I said, so how many are you going to just throw this? And their husbands went out and bought them firearms, uh, pink ones, whatever. And... And, and they bought them firearms specifically for the class because they, their intention is there. Um, but I asked them, I said, so how many of you are going to throw this firearm in the closet when we're done with this? Every single one of them raised their hand. They were just there to appease their husband. So it helped having a female instructor in the class. By the time we were done, the women outshot the men like there was no tomorrow. And they had so much fun that they were making playdates with each other in order to go out and shoot together and stuff. So can't endorse enough. I know there's a lot of great male instructors out there. Don't get me wrong. But I think a female instructor gives it a a different perspective, especially if if, uh, you have a female in the class. I think definitely because you guys... I mean, say you guys, men and women speak some some different languages at different times and, and interpret things different way and feel about things differently. And it's very important for most women, in my experience, not all, but most women, to feel understood. Where as a guy, if I'm paying for training, I don't really care if the instructor understands me or not. I just want to get what I right. pay for. Right, and, but, and I think there's a different need there. And men, we did, you know, unless we're like the, the the emotionally feeling metrosexual that watches Sex in the City with our girlfriend, we don't get it, and we're not going to get it. And don't try to make us because it's not going to. Ha- you're pushing a string at that point, you know. You also mean well, and I understand what you're trying to get apart. Standing outside of it, but if I'm your wife, you're you can be. My husband can drill something into the ground like there's no tomorrow, and it's like to the point. Yo-yos, take yo-yos, innocent little yo-yos. <laughs> he got, and you have to understand, my husband. When he gets on something, he wants to perfect it. Um, Better than God can do it sometimes. But yo-yos, he was yo-yoing with yo-yos every day, and all you hear with is all day long. But darn if he's not good at it. He's the same yeah. way with everything, but I understand that about him. But guys mean well with firearms. They go out and they buy themselves, they buy their wives this, this firearm. More often than not, when they come to class, they trade it on on something else because the guys think, well, this is the perfect gun for you. And I can't say enough, women, find a, a shooting range out there that rents firearms and try them out like you would try out shoes. You don't go in and you just don't go buy a pair of shoes without trying them on. Do the same thing with a firearm until you feel comfortable. We've gotten women that their husband buys them uh, 45 and they'll come in and they hate the thing because it hurts and they don't know how to use it correctly and they're scared of it. So we'll drop them down and we'll start them out at a 22 and then we'll work our way up till they feel comfortable, and that's where we'll level off. And lo and behold, it saves them every time, and they enjoy it. And I think the fear comes from lack of knowledge more often than not. 
Well, and you know, you say it hurts. Well, it hurts because technique has not yet been mastered. No, I, I can teach anybody out there to shoot something equivalent to a forty-four Magnum without it hurting, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to start there because I've got to get past flinching and fear and improper technique first. And God, and I, this is the big problem that guys do, and guys never want to admit it. They never buy a gun for their girl. They use buying a gun for their girl as an excuse to buy another gun they want. And it, it's not no, always, no. but it happens all yeah. the time. Oh, my God. Time. My husband is sitting over here just laughing his ass off. <laughs> it happens all you see, you, I see it in sporting goods stores where I, I, I watch the guy behind the counter give terrible advice. The guy there, the woman kind of like, oh, okay, I'm getting a gun. And I could tell, like, okay, that gun doesn't fit her. You know, it, like, let her try to rack the slide on that thing. See if, you know, you really small, dainty-handed, you know, woman can rack the slide on it. Or they're worried about a really small gun, but yet it's being bought for home protection, so it's not going to be carried. Well, something with a little bit larger of a frame, it would be easier to shoot, you know. And they just, it, it, it's it, it's a, it's kind of a sticking point with me if you can't tell. But um, you, you mentioned your, let's kind of move on, because we'll just do the whole show on guns if we don't. You mentioned your husband's sitting there laughing, so he's he's a city boy and 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 didn't think this was really the the way to do things. So how'd you get him involved in all this uh, willingly anyway? Willingly, it it led to the guns, and it, uh-huh. that that's his passion, and that was the soft spot that I hit. You have to target what they what they're going to enjoy. If I brought him in on canning, he still wouldn't be doing it. But um, yeah, guns is his passion, so I kind of said, well, why don't you take care of the home preparedness part of it, the self defense or the defense part of it, and that kind of brought him in. And then just him seeing me over and over and over again talking about different things, and you know, I use I'm a news junkie like there's no tomorrow so when i'm telling him about stuff that happens and it doesn't hit mainstream media till a week later he yeah. that starts perking up his little ears and then he's like you know you might be onto something here so um, or when you say this is what's going to happen and they go no yeah and then like do. three weeks later not only was it not just being covered but it actually hello it happened you know and then they comes out that that's what was going to happen all along and you're like well okay you know, when it happens two or three times, I don't care if it's male to female or female to male. The other side has to finally go, yeah, well, maybe there's, maybe there. there's some here. Yeah, definitely. But we also, um, a couple other avenues, if you're having problems getting people involved that we talk, uh, your family involved, if you, if you need to get your kids involved, geocaching is an easy way, a fun way to get them out there and have them start learning about longitude and latitude and stuff like that. Um we do it. It's fun and it uh, gets the kids involved. It gets the family involved. Plus, we just had uh, a $20 prepper chick challenge where I challenged um, all of our visitors to take 20 bucks and go to the store, dollar store or whatever, and bring me back uh, enough to survive on for a couple days. And was quite impressed with, with the, the uh, products they brought back. I was expecting, quite honestly, water and food. And yeah. a lot of these people actually went out to each area of preparedness and brought a little bit of something back. So it was nice to see. So we're going to, FYI, people, we're doing a July challenge, 20 bucks, but we're going to tailor it specific to an area. Um, and it's, it's a win-win for all of us. I get to see what people are thinking about and how they're learning. But then you also now have preps in your house that you can pull from, which is awesome. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, we, we've talked about that very thing, and I can't remember which listener it is, but we do have one of our listeners actually writing a book right now called The Dollar Store Survivalist. Yeah, and it doesn't uh, have to be like 
um, certain shows out there where, you know, you have to spend a million dollars on a helicopter and all this uh, food storage. <laughs> I, I use, I'm a rep for a food storage company out there. I will not push one of their big packets because people will die if, if they had to use it because they don't know, A, know how to use it and, and they just won't eat the stuff. So unless, you know, start implementing this stuff slowly into your menu. If not, don't buy one of those big packages. Absolutely. So you, you kind of mentioned one thing there that I wanted to ask you about, and that's getting your kids involved or, and kind of sneaking it in. Because, like, you know, we're just doing geocaching, but now you're learning land navigation. You're learning mm-hmm. situational yeah. awareness. You're learning uh, all different types of things. You're getting outdoors. You're getting physical activity. You're turning off the Xbox, et cetera. So are there any other things that you've done kind of to trick your kids into the preparedness world without actually going, today, Johnny, we're going to prepare? Trick them? Um, how about just going throwing the breaker off in the house? <laughs> you know, it's simple. It's quick. They won't expect it. Oh, my goodness. What are we going to do? But I think if you make it fun, that helps. My uh, my oldest daughter uh, just turned 18, and she has been accepted to a college in Chicago, of all places. And, yeah, mom's still struggling with that. And... uh so, you know, we've already uh, have gone through uh, ways home if something would happen. I've already contacted several fellow preppers in the area, prepping, prepping groups and whatnot in the area that can help me out if need be. And, uh, you know, we've got her, we're actually in the process of building her a bug out bag because she doesn't leave until the fall. Um, that will help and utilize uh, her abilities to get her home if uh, need be. So I think bug out bags are a cool thing for kids, especially the younger ones. If you pack in crayons and stuff like that, which, by the way, will burn for about 30 minutes if you need it to. Awesome, awesome stuff. And I think the throwing the breaker is a good one. I think actually as long as it's done at the right time, like not when your wife is about to use her curling iron to go out with <laughs> girlfriends or whatever, that it's it's a good way to kind of break through to the, the, the reluctant spouse. Can I try something right now? And just go outside and throw the main. And go, okay, let's say this isn't coming back on for 48 hours. Now what? Yeah, what are you going to do? Because it just starts to like, okay, well, it's not that big a deal. Well, what about all the food in the refrigerator? Oh, I never, two days you say? Oh, by the way, it's going to be 105 today. Yeah. Uh, Oh, well, uh, uh, and there's actually ways for 48 hours to not even have to worry about that refrigerator. But your spouse that's reluctant probably hasn't actually figured that out yet. Oh, no. And and you go, okay, let's try something else. Take the car keys and just put them in a drawer and say, okay, now can't go anywhere either. Now, don't get upset, honey. I'm going to turn it back on in about 10 minutes. I just want you to can't go anywhere. Power's out. Got to do it. And all of a sudden, it just starts to like, oh, again, it's a cocoon breaker. Like, wait a minute. This is... And you go, is this reasonable? This isn't the zombies, right? This isn't the new world order. This is just powers out for two days. And I've been through power outages far more than two days. Well, a lot of people don't realize, too, how much your life will change your day-to-day just by when the sun comes up, when the sun comes down. You know, you're used to staying up till midnight, 1 o'clock. Now, all of a sudden, you have no power, and it's only 9 o'clock, and it's dark out. What are you going to do? Yeah. So, yeah. and there's, you know, little things like bringing in your solar lights from outside that you can do. And, but, you know, once you dive into this, it changes the way you do shopping and the way you think about things. And, you know, it's hard for me now. You know, I've been quite honestly thinking about 
uh, redecorating our master bathroom for probably three years now. I just can't get myself to do it because I'm sitting there and I'm thinking about all the other preps I can purchase or all the other training I can do for the amount of money that I'm going to use on redecorating my bathroom. I understand that, too. It's, it's some of the things that we want to do here, because this is an old house from 1979 that we bought, and the kitchen just is a, just a, it's, it's disgraceful. It really is. I mean, it's, it's as bad as it gets, and it's in need of major renovation, and it's the kind of thing where you're not just going to put new cabinets in. Like, you're going to tear walls down, yeah. and that's not simple and all. And you just look at it, and you go, you're, you're looking at, even if I do some of the work myself, like 25, 30 grand, and I'm like, do you know what I can do to this place? Yeah, I know. From a self-sufficiency standpoint. And you know what? I turn the oven on, it cooks. I turn the stovetop on, it Good. cooks. I wash yeah. stuff. You know, the wife wants a new dishwasher, and it's doing some things where I'm like, okay, we can do that. You know, <laughs> but it's but it's, hey. it's it's really hard to, to do that when you're thinking, you know, I could have this, this thing, this whole place into a completely tightly run self-sufficient homestead with that money versus yeah. having a bar top. Yeah. It's more convenient to entertain people. But you also have to keep mama happy too. Uh, that's true. We know how that, that is, goes. How is your wife feeling anyways? I know she's, she's doing better. And that's an interesting thing that I was going to talk about. Um, she was knocked flat out for about three or four days. And the kind of thing where even when she wanted to do something, I'm like, hell no. And just being in a two, you know, we don't have kids anymore that are in the house and, but being in a two-person household where we have livestock to take care of and things like that, having to do everything I do every day, plus most of what she does every day, poorly in comparison, I must add, wore me the hell out. <laughs> and, and I think it's worse in some instances when it's not like a catastrophic thing. where Because if it is, you're at the hospital at somebody's bedside and all, and everything just goes to hell and you don't even think about it. Well, you got adrenaline pumping. Yeah, and you, you, you're just like, it doesn't even matter. But when it's like, okay, this is obviously something you're going to get over. I'm not, you know, calling in a prayer circle or something like that on this. This is just, you're sick, it sucks, I feel bad for you, I'm going to take care of you. But I know within a week you're going to be back on your feet. Then you're thinking, well, I got to keep everything running. So you're running a business, you're taking care of the animals, doing the dishes, you're doing the laundry on top of it, and then doing all the stuff I do outside. And it was like, this is something that we need to. Th and the reason I say that isn't so everybody has a pity party for Jack. It's so that people start thinking about, okay, what if the grid's down? And what if in the middle of that grid down scenario, you, your spouse, a member of your family, a member of your group goes down? And not necessarily dead, but just down for a week in that grid-down well, scenario. what if they give birth? Or, that's a great one. Yeah, men never think that way. But, yeah, what if they have to give birth? You know, you have to, A, learn how to be able to handle this your your wife or this other female giving birth to begin with to sustain the life of the child that's being born. Plus, you can't move. You can't move this neither one of these for uh, an extended period of time. So, I mean... You have to be flexible. You know, I was on vacation last week, and it's like I was I was pissed off come probably Monday morning because I had everything planned out. This is what I'm going to do. I took a vacation before my mother-in-law comes over um, to get things, you know. This is her first visit, so I've got sure. a little panic I coming understand. in here. So I took a week's vacation before she actually gets here to get things done. Well, we had the, the – and I always – pronounced this wrong and i've learned there's another way to say it but i'm just going to say it the director that came through we lost some trees and so all of the stuff i had planned to do got washed out and we ended up you know we've got firewood now for the next year and a half but um 
come Monday morning, I was all pissed off. But think about that in a downgrade situation. You have your plans for, you know, how to survive if something happens and then all of a sudden you get a kink in it. So now, you know, now you're you're spending energy being pissed off about something than you are actually being able to get through it. Yeah, we had our crops on the ground early this year. We had a great year going, especially for just getting to the homestead. What hits? 30 minutes of hail. Oh, my God. Not big hail, but 30 minutes of hail about, you know, you go get a soda every once in a while. You just say, I'm going to do it anyway. And the the stuff that comes out of the ice machine, like that, the pellets, Uh 30 minutes of that. In fact, it was so perfect for that, I actually went outside and filled up two glasses while we were watching it. And to ease our misery over watching everything get destroyed, we poured a whiskey and soda <laughs> over the hail. While they, but 30 minutes of hail, it was like, you know, it, it did a t- tremendous amount of damage. And all it did was basically, like you say, it pissed me off. But I was also thinking, if we were really relying on these crops this year, You're screwed. that would have been devastating. Yeah, That would have been a devastating event, where it just was an inconvenience this year. So I know a lot of us in the prepping world always preach, you got to have backups to your backups to your backups. One is done. Two is one. You know, three might be getting somewhere. So, yeah, great that you store bottled water in your house. But what happens if you run out? Do you have a a way to catch water, rainwater, or don't always rely on a stream or a river because somebody upstream could put a a kink in that plan, too. So a way to to catch water, and then how are you going to purify it if you need to? So always back up and think of that in every avenue of preparedness that you do. You've got to have backups to backups to backups. The biggest mistake I see with people's preps when it comes to the material things, especially the food, the water, etc., is they have a place for it. And you should not have a place for your preps. And this is what I mean by that. If you have a place for your preps, all of your preps are in a place. And if a place gets destroyed... All your preps are destroyed. Your preps should be handled the way we do with network development. It should be a distributed model. So some of the preps go in the basement. That's a great place for them. That's fine. Some of the preps are over in this. Some are at an outbuilding. Some might even be off-site because if you put everything in one room, it's subject to complete destruction. And if you get in a real, let's let's go out far out now to a real grid-down scenario where people are stealing and, and, and rioting and doing things like that, and your security's breached, and even if you survive the attack, if all of the things that you have that are valuable are consolidated in a single location, that's real easy for it to be picked up, carted off. And a lot of times, and this is so sad, but it is human nature, people that will do that, whatever they can't take with them, They'll destroy before yeah. they leave. Yeah, they will. And that's, you know, geocaching will teach, um, just an FYI, how to build a cache system, e- even with PVC or something like that. Sure. And we'll also teach your kids how to hide things and even look for things that might be out there. I know when, uh, it's funny, when we lived in Cleveland, um, before we really got into geocaching, we kept, we lived on a uh, bike path behind our property and there was a fence. And these people would stop back there, and they were they were talking and carrying on, and it's like, what in the world? And once we get into the geocaching, we realized somebody hid a cache in our fence. And, and, and you were watching them do, like, different people come through different times of day, different Oh, yeah, in the week, middle of the night. And had no yeah, idea really what watch. they were doing. No, right? no There was clue. something fascinating right there. Yeah, yeah, but it will teach your kids how to build caches because they're different size ones you can build, and then how to hide them. But, yeah, it's funny you say that because when uh, those tornadoes were coming through out in Moore, Oklahoma, I was thinking, oh, my goodness, how many people's preps were just being blown all over the place because and they completely wiped out. 
And I, I, I honest to God, every time we go through tornado season, want to just line up every newscaster in the state of Texas and smack them in the face because they always say, go to your basement. I have seen two houses in this state in my life with basements. Yeah, well, we don't have we don't have them, but um, and this is this is kind of, you know, it's sad, but you know, in more, you know, those those kids drowned from yeah. being in the basement. So it's something that you definitely have to think about. Yeah, definitely, and those are one of those things where you're that can happen. You need to think about it. You need to have a contingency, but do your odds of surviving an F five go up if you're underground? And the answer is yeah. But then you do have to think about, okay, well, what if we end up with a flooding issue? How is that going to be handled? Some pumps probably not capable of dealing with the volume of water, let alone since the power is out. Because, and there's just so many things that people never think about. And I think that as soon as you switch the human mind on and start going down these probabilities, if you can get past the I don't want to talk about it stage with somebody, every human mind finds solutions. Maybe not oh, yeah. the same solution, not the best solution, but we're hardwired to survive or we wouldn't be here. Yeah, and that's why it's so important, knowledge building. Knowledge building, it doesn't weigh anything. You can take it with you wherever you go. You don't have to worry about it being blown away or anything like that. And you have to think about these situations and what you would do because guess what? Then you're a step ahead, and your life depends upon it. I completely agree. Now, I've got kind of the, the, the cleanup question for you that gets put to every female that's on this series. And it usually is interesting because so far – Every single woman that I've had on the show for this series has been the one that drugged the husband across the finish line with this. I have not yet had a woman come on the show, and there might be in the future, so I think we have like 12 of you guys booked for this series, that was the other way around, where it was the guy that drug her across. But still, from a woman's perspective, because I have so many men with this issue that are on the other side of it, as a woman, if you had not been brought up this way, if you were not naturally this way, if you were the one saying, no, no, I don't want to talk about it, I don't want to hear it, shut up, leave me alone, the economy's going to be fine, Social Security will be there, what are some of the things possibly your husband, if he was on board, could have said to you that would have reached you? Well, probably the biggest avenue, yes, I was raised like this, but I'm an ecstology nut, so I study end times uh, religious aspects from different religions. So looking for different signs, that that plays a lot into what I do. Um, but if, uh, my husband, probably just the fact, uh, knowing him and his passion for firearms, is the amount of break-ins um, that we're seeing and things like that, that would really get me probably to wake up. But it's hard for me to answer that because I've done all aspects of this all of my life. So to put myself in someone, so a green person's shoes is really hard for me. <laughs> I, to the point I want to just smack people most of the time. It's like, hello, <laughs> you know. But just to be clear, you're not advising the, the husband with the reluctant wife to smack her and bring her around. You, you're just saying that's how you, it makes you feel like you're frustrated that you can't reach people with something so basic. Yeah. Yeah, don't yeah, don't go out and smack each other around. Um, that's not the answer, by the way. Um, use love and kindness, and you know, let's let's play nice here. But to me personally, yeah, I've wanted to smack quite a few people, um, and that's just they. And it's not the fact that they're stupid, and because they're intelligent people, they just don't want to open their eyes to this, and that just floors me sometimes. Well, that's the thing. It's not that they can't understand it. It's they choose to not look at it. It's, yeah. it's, it's, if I don't look at it, it's not real. It'll go away. 
And I find that the people that are the most entrenched either have a, a, a career or a position in life that mandates that these things stay the way that they are. And, and the longer they've been there and the more they have vested, the more they hold tight. Or they're people that grew up in the June and Ward Cleaver neighborhood where nothing ever went wrong and there was always shopping on Saturday and there was never a struggle. And it's the people from those two sides that just seem locked into this blindness and more than a blindness, a fear to acknowledge reality. Uh, yeah. An absolute fear. Yeah, uh, that's probably 100%. And it's not control freaks. You know, it, the way you describe the, pers- the first person, you would think that they were control freaks. No, no. And they no. Don't, but they're not, because I personally like control. And that's one of the reasons why I do a lot of this. That gives me that little balance that I need, so that way I don't hurt someone. But and then there's there is the vesting like because uh, in a career so like my wife was a nurse for 22 years I think b- before she quit there are so many things about modern medicine that I told her over the years and she's great she won't go you're nuts right she just goes oh okay but you know what that means that means it's fine that you believe that right yeah. that's yeah. that's what I'm that means right you. I'm dismissing you, you can yeah it's just like thoughts, when your kids your kids I'll say can mine. we do this later and you say maybe. Maybe means no, right? And they, yeah. they don't figure that out until about eight, you know? Um, but so, you know, you just let, you just, you know not to push. And you know, I was in sales and you know when not to push. So years and years of this. So then we got this business running and we got it to where, like, you know, she didn't need to work anymore. She walked away from her job. And as soon as she wasn't vested in that job anymore, without any prodding, she started reading things like Dr. McCullough's site and stuff like that. She'd come to me and go, did you know this? Did you know that? And I'd just go, uh-huh, yeah. I remember I told you that. Oh yeah, that's right. And it was in, in, to the to the point now where she when we when we moved back to Texas permanently, w- the people for, where she used to work loved her and were like, you know, would you ever consider coming back? And she goes, I don't really think so because women make nice men are like hell no, right? But she, you know, I don't really think. But what she told me is, I don't think I could do that job knowing what I know now. I don't think I could give these kids all these va- and like she's not like totally don't vaccinate against anything, but like parents should at least know like. This what? one's maybe not necessary. Did you know what the risks are? Have you even read the risks? Yeah. Well, right? and, isn't, isn't and that that's so, just one thing, right? That, that, like she's like, I, I, I don't think I could do the job anymore. But isn't that because we get caught up in the monetary aspect of, of our jobs as opposed to maybe the life lessons that we learn in our jobs? I would say with her, based on the income level, not, not so much. It was the feeling that the job was important and what you were doing was good. Right, because she was she was an LVN, not an RN. She never made a ton of money, so it wasn't like she was advancing in career and gonna you know be an NP someday and run an office or something. It was it was just that you have you have to feel needed that what you're doing is about you know she goes yeah. to peak twenty two twenty four years whatever it was eighteen of it in pediatrics. I mean, so it was a love of kids and things like that. And somebody like that doesn't want to think, hey, something I'm doing could be doing harm. Right. Doctors take an oath against that. Well, not if they've been taught and they don't believe they're doing harm. They, they don't. But they're, they're taught in a, in a tunnel type kind of uh, tunnel aspect, though. They're taught. They're like soldiers, if you think about it. They're yeah. told this is the right way to do this. Um, don't think about it. This is how you do it. Bam, 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 bam. You're done. You get your certificate. You go on. You open your practice. That's how you do everything. That's one thing. When I went back to school to be a doctor of naturopathy and learning 
you know, the root causes of things and how to cure that as opposed to just putting a Band-Aid on something or here, take some Tylenol that'll get rid of your headache, but finding out why you actually have a headache and yeah. curing yeah. it that way. And then nutrition, how it plays into that. It's just phenomenal um, once your eyes get open and it freaks people. It's scary. I've talked to people who, you know, they live their little suburb life and all of a sudden their eyes get open to reality. Yeah. And it's like it quite honestly, they need put on Valium because it takes them a while to get adjusted and lose all of the information they've processed over the past um, and and get it out of their system. Yeah. um, You know, there's there's definitely something to that. And what it makes me think of is like my own wife, even though we're very well prepared one day, sat down and, and listened to a um, like a presentation, which is the, like designed to sell you some investment advice or something like that. But it was, you know, what happened in Cyprus and, and how bad the economy is and all. And she's like, we need to do more. We need to do more. Like, we need to just keep doing what we're doing. But it was like all of a sudden, all of this information that's been, you know, in our household for, for years, like it busted the floodgates. Yeah. And, and, then, and, and then it's me talking her like we yeah, panic. Yeah, we're calm gonna, down. Yeah, we're going to be OK. Now, there's something you said, though, about the medical thing. And I, I lost it there for a second. Um, but now it's back. And this is one of the really great things you can do to break that with people. And it doesn't matter if it's an aspirin. doesn't matter if it's a Tylenol. doesn't matter if it's a Motrin. Whatever it is, when somebody says, I had a headache, so I took a, right? Fill in the blank with whatever thing they took. What you say is, so you have an aspirin deficiency? A good point. And they go, no, what do you mean? Well, so a head- is a headache a deficiency in aspirin? And that is, a re- and I think I read that in one of Andrew Wiles' books, and it, it's a real interesting way to look at our problem-solution mode in medicine. Yeah. Right? So why, and it's not like antibiotics don't serve a purpose. They, they certainly did for my wife with this recent illness, but it was a proper application. Whereas we have this, you know, Band-Aid mentality. You mentioned a soldier, right? That's very much, it's almost like you have this enemy, you put this bullet in your gun, and you shoot that enemy. Yeah. And that's how they use drugs. Without knowing that that person in that uniform over there could be your brother, for all you know. But Yeah, you don't know. Yeah, right? you don't know because you're programmed to think a specific way. You know, when pain, I had, it must be bad. Well, what if you had no pain reflexes and had your hand sitting on a burner? Well, what got me on the, that road was I had knee surgery. I damaged my knee. Something fell, knocked my kneecap, um, and I couldn't even bend my knee. And me being me, it took me about a week to get into the doctor. And he gave me one of those little shots, and everything was hunky-dory. It lasted about a week and a half. And I go back in, and I said, I need another one of these shots. And he goes, I'm sorry, I can't give you another one. And he goes, I think you have floaties in your knee. I was like, that's just lovely. And in the back of my head is always, well, how the hell am I going to bug out if I have to? Yeah. But but he's we go in for surgery to take the floaties out, and he realizes that I completely crumbled all the cartilage in my knee. So mm-hmm. he, has, he has to take all of that out. And he drills up in my bone to try and get it to regrow and all this other stuff. And so I get out of surgery and I'm home and I'm not even allowed to put my leg on the ground. No toes, no nothing. Yeah. So you learn how to improvise the different things. But he's got me on these uh, painkillers that was just like a roller coaster ride and I couldn't sleep and it was just horrendous, you know, and... I'm in the back of my head the whole time thinking, oh, my goodness, what if something happens? It's just the way I am. And 
you know, I started to research alternate means to medication and finally, you know, I'm into the essential oils and, you know, the natural herbs and things. I totally got myself off of the, the meds and the painkillers and, you know, healed it without all of that stuff that they tell you that you absolutely have to have. So there are alternate means out there that people need to be aware of um, to get through things that uh, sometimes do more harm than good. And I'm not saying all medicine is bad. Don't get me wrong. No, no. I've, I've always said if I'm in, a, and I'm in a car accident and I have a yield sign on my spleen, please take me to a surgeon yes, now. Exactly. Right? Yeah, you know, but if a chronic illness that... You know, going to a doctor, I, I tell anybody with a, with a persistent problem that goes to a doctor that want, and the doctor wants to prescribe a medication, your first question should be, and when will I stop taking this medication? Oh, totally pissed off my husband's doctor. <laughs> we go in for a physical, and I'm very, um, I do your research on vaccines, but I've totally pulled my kids out of that whole scene. But we go into, my husband gets a, a physical, and the doctor said, well, your blood pressure is a little high. We need you to take this pill. And I'm, saying, I'm like, why do we need to take this pill? Why don't we look at diet, exercise, um, and all of that stuff first and cure it that way instead of just getting hooked on this pill? Because once you get on these pills, you're hooked. There's a, yeah. It's a hard road to go down and get off this stuff. So totally pissed off the doctor to the point he writes it right in this. You know, they're all hooked up through the government anyways. But he writes it in the little statement that we refused his medical advice and all yeah. I did was question why yeah. we didn't go this route first before we got hooked onto the drugs than um, getting straight to the drugs. And all of a sudden, we get tagged with uh, they refused our medical advice. <laughs> got a, I got a letter, posted it up the whole nine yards. Pissed wow. Me well, and that does. And I mean, I've, I've been through it with doctors. I've had doctors say things to me like the one lady that I was talking to with my wife for some pain she was dealing with, I said, well, you know, we've been seeing a chiropractor, and he actually has helped her a lot. And she said, well, chiropractors are great, but the problem with them is that, you know, once what they do wears off, um, you have to go back to them. And I said, how's that different than your drugs? And you would have thought I punched her in the face. I mean, it was just total dead silence and anger and red ears. And, there's, and the reason is there is no answer that's acceptable other than it's not. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we have a, a huge pharmaceutical company here in town um, that, you know, quite honestly employs a lot of people in Indianapolis, but they make a huge amount of money for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. destroy a lot of lives in the process. So, and, and again, I don't want to crap all over medicine. There's a lot of places for it. I have a tremendous respect for doctors. They save a lot of lives. But the medical industry as a whole it also does a lot of harm. And they are now at the point of inventing illnesses to match drugs that they've invented and don't know what to do with. The latest one, and this one makes me want to go and start just smacking pharmaceutical reps and pharmaceutical executives, is, and I, if you haven't heard this yet, I'm not making this up. This is a real recognized illness that's being advertised for. Shift differential disorder. Explain that. Okay, you work. You know, you work swing shift. You work first shift this week, second shift next week, third shift, and go typical shift work. Midwest <laughs> America, right? Okay, now there is an illness known as shift differential disorder, or SDD for short. And I don't remember the medication because by the time they get to the end of the thing and tell you what it is, I can't hear the name of the medication because of the steam 
flowing from my ears, and my rant to my poor wife was like, oh, God, he's at it again. Um, but this is a legitimately considered by the medical industry an illness that now requires medical treatment, which is basically you're tired because you have irregular sleep patterns. Oh, my. Okay. <laughs> so If you then, think I'm making it up, but then, stick it into Google. You'll find it. You know, go to the doctor, and now you're diagnosed with some kind of mental disorder, and heaven forbid you tell them you have guns in your house or something. <sighs> wow. I'm actually looking up the medication. It's wow. called Pro, Provigil. That's Medical unreal. prescription used to improve wakefulness in adults who works work have work sleep disorder, also known as shift work or shift differential disorder. And I thought just uh, the measles spreading during the Super Bowl here in Indy was outrageous. I can't yep. imagine sleep disorder from from. I mean, and it's and it, this is and and then with the preparedness angle coming back into it here as we get ready to wrap up, you have to ask yourself when people become dependent on a medication so that they can deal with the fact they work swing shift, what happens in a grid-down scenario where all of these these little magic pills, uh, you know, they were calling, um, they, they actually had a, a, an article out a couple of weeks ago or a couple of months ago that I covered where women who were on antidepressants said that they made them better mothers. Oh, my goodness. Well, if you're into preparedness to any degree, you understand that after a downgrade situation, you have a holding period that you need to prepare for to get rid of uh, you know, it's sad to say, but it is reality. Certain people are going to die because of the life they lead now. And a lot of those are the people, you know, if you think about it, uh, alcoholics, drug users, you know, some of the elderly, even some of the young, depending on, you know, unfortunately, what the, what's going on now. Because they're going to get pissed off when they can't have access to, you know, their narcotics that are prescribed by a doctor or, you know, anything for that matter. So uh, any of us that have been watching human habits over the years during downgrade situations, we understand that there's going to be a time period that you need to get through and be quiet and be invisible. Just get through that, and you have a better chance of being able to survive. Um, final question for you. Um, there are a lot of people out there that are using this series, more men with women, but I think probably women with men as well, with the reluctant spouse thing, that are saying, hey, you know what, this is all normal, regular people that are just talking about what can go wrong. For the person that listens to this today and actually has the cocoon broken and says, oh, crap, right? And, you know, we talked about how, you know, that can happen with anybody, even my wife, who, we're already so prepared, relax, it's okay. But the person that's totally unprepared First steps to, to, to lose the panic and get on a pathway of preparedness. Well, I would say the first thing they need to do is take a deep breath because there are you feel alone at a point because you might not have talked to other people about preparedness. So all of a sudden now you feel like you're the nut job to a degree. <laughs> and um, so take a deep breath. We're out here and we're here to help you. Um, but then if you're trying to bring in a reluctant spouse, um, I think just using everyday news is a big way to get them involved. Start talking about what's going on. Talk, start talking about, hey, you know, we got wild, wildfires going on. What if we have to leave all of a sudden? What would we take with us right now? Or what happens if this storm comes through and we lose power for upwards to a week sometimes uh, before, you know, the grid gets fixed and, and back up and running? 
So that kind of stuff, we are seeing more and more natural disasters every day. So I, I think that would be the avenue that most people just talk about what's on the news. You know what? Talk about what happens if there's a civil revolt. I think a lot of people don't understand if this country goes into some kind of um, situation where we're trying to oust the pontus that we have now, that um, things are going to possibly get very ugly. And I know there are some of us out there that are hoping that happens, you know, that, you know, things get cleaned up. But the reality is a lot of people are going to die in the process. Tyrants do not relinquish control peacefully. No, they don't. It never happens that way. And there's never been a time in history where it ever has happened that way. And the, deg- the only thing that varies is how severe and what the degrees of violence are. And sadly, in this country, we're pretty good at violence even amongst ourselves. So, yeah, there's definitely a risk there. Well, if you're not open or watching what's going on now when it's pretty peaceful with the stuff that's going on behind the scenes and getting passed um, in the laws and whatnot, then uh, you're not really paying attention because they're setting things up uh, to the degree it's going to be damn near impossible to do anything. So if you're not prepared for what's coming, you really need to be. Well, wise words, Lori, and I appreciate you being with us today on the air. It's been my pleasure, and I thank you very much. That's okay. I'll put you it, too. And, folks, with that, this has been Jack Spierko along with Lori Caraballo, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. There's nothing I can do It's the price we pay, I guess And we follow all the rules There's a better way to do this Let me show you a better way Adios.